0: Welcome to The Interesting Podcast, episode number 46. This episode is one of my all-time favorite authors, Claudia Gray. And if you're listening to this show, you most likely know who she is. Apart from being an amazing author, she's also a fantastic person and hilarious. We had such a good time talking. Uh, we we uh, talked about different weather that we've survived uh, because she's in New Orleans. And, uh, you know, Katrina hit New Orleans. Luckily, she wasn't there. Uh, we talked about Mardi Gras. The proper way to enjoy New Orleans, how she got started writing, uh, and then we even got into her Star Wars books. Covered Lost Stars, uh, Bloodline, Leia, Princess of Alderaan. We even covered uh, we even covered that chapter in uh, from a certain point of view, guys. From a certain point of view, the Qui-Gon chapter. Anyone who follows me on Twitter knows I freaked when I read that, and it was really cool to be able to tell her how much I enjoyed it and appreciated it. Uh, but she's so fun. This was re- this was really really cool. Special thanks to her assistant, Sarah, uh, for setting this up. She's incredible. Um, Yeah, so you know what? Uh, That's all you need to hear from me. Uh, Let's just enjoy uh, The Interesting Podcast, episode number 46, with Claudia Gray. Theme song time.
1: hello 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 claudia yes how are you doing i'm doing just fine i had a moment of panic upon realizing that my new laptop did not have skype on it yet but fortunately that was not too difficult a thing to take care of been there i've had to change my skype password probably close to
0: 20 times not exaggerating oh Oh my god i'm just horrible horrible at memory <laughs> things and just it's got to be one of five things and then it's like this account it's one of those like email or password is wrong uh-huh. it doesn't tell you which one it is
1: told you like oh this password would have this many capitals yeah, and it would anything. have
0: <laughs> no clues really none at all you can you tell me if it was the, the email or the password you're just one of them
2: <laughs> please please
0: it's like somebody for a fact knows because you're telling me one of them is wrong They're no just, it's, they don't help at all <laughs> zero which i suppose is the point but um that, that makes sense makes sense you know They're good on them for the security but uh a little too much little too much mm-hmm. i've always wondered like you know fingerprint scanners what happens yeah. if something happens to your finger
1: are you just out of, I, are you just out of luck i do not know that would work uh i assume you would have to go through some kind of process with your bank or whatever but like the state department i have no idea has to be right then it's retina scans
0: it's gotta be something.
1: We're headed um, we're headed that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have to do uh fingerprint scans when I come in from outside the US now. So Really? Well, I signed up for global entry and I mean oh, okay. in exchange for the fingerprint scans I don't have to stand in the line. So, you know, fine.
0: Fair. Good 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 uh good exchange. I'd say yeah. so. That's mm-hmm. awesome. <laughs> so yes. you're, you're in New Orleans. I am. Are you from New Orleans?
1: Uh not originally, but i always had family here I lived here throughout the 90s and I moved back uh, not quite seven years ago
0: really where where are you from
1: I'm originally Mississippi uh, I've lived all over no way
0: what part uh the Delta okay right on right on so you were you said you moved uh, back here seven years ago so uh, you... shy of
1: I think I moved back in August of 2011 something like that okay phew. so you weren't there in '05. 5 I was not there in 05. I was there before and after, but not for Katrina.
0: Cool. And you had family? Did they make it all right?
1: Uh, Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, everybody's fine. Um, You know, my aunt and uncle weren't back in their house for two years. Yeah. But, you know, the house ultimately came out okay, and and nobody was hurt. So, um, pretty much everybody was displaced in some way, but is okay now. We were very lucky.
0: Good, Good, good. I just went through a hurricane down here in Florida. Oh, amazing. where are you in Florida? Uh, I'm in Naples. Ah. Yes, southwest, directly across from Miami. Like if you go to Miami, <laughs> on the other coast, like, the same latitude. Okay. <laughs> or I guess it'd be longitude. Longitude is the horizontal, I think. I
1: actually don't know. Sure, yeah, it is now. No, Wait, no, 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 latitudes are um, are horizontal, and I'm embarrassed to say I know that because of Jimmy Buffett. Hey, you're, you know what? Hey. Latitudes changes in attitude. That makes yeah. sense.
0: Whatever works, you know. Thanks. Whatever. How, however you learn, it works. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy Buffett. Jimmy Buffett's awesome. But yeah, yeah we just we just went through a uh, hurricane Irma, and uh, that was fun. I'm with, sure. Was uh oh man. It what was weird about that one was like they kept flip flopping the days leading up to it. It was like it's gonna hit Miami. No, it's gonna hit Naples. Just kidding. It's gonna hit Miami. So, we didn't get like mandatory evacuation until the day before. <laughs> and all the gas stations were out of gas and it was like Mad Max time. Yeah. So weird. We had like, uh, w- luckily, uh, where I'm at, we didn't lose power for, I think it was like four or five days. My parents lost it for like nine days. Uh-huh. And I think around like day seven was when people were pulling guns on each other's sandwiches. Things yeah. went south so fast without AC in Florida.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's like that New Orleans after Hurricane 2. You know, that first day, nobody has power, but, you know, right after the hurricane, the weather's great. Yeah, oh, it is. um, It's the constellation for survival. Yeah, basically, (laughs) you know, and then about 36 hours after that, you're like, wait a minute. Yeah, (laughs) oh, there's no power. Yeah,
0: (laughs) exactly. Man, so weird. They're crazy. I've luckily never been in a tornado, though. I feel like those are significantly more scary.
1: Yeah, I mean, smaller, but if it's coming at you, that's not good. I've I've never been in one. There was one that hit here, I guess, about three years ago, and I was much closer to that than I hoped to be. But, I, well, like, tree limbs were coming down around me and stuff, and I was like...
2: You know, I was in
1: my car and there wasn't really anything I could do. And I kind of went all the way from mortal terror to sort of the point of like, none can know the hour. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. You know, you have, you just have to keep trying to get home. That's all there is. That's right. Um, So, uh, and I did get home, but I lost, um, I had a, I have an old house here and I had an old porch swing and the tornado broke apart. So Mm. it was close enough for jazz, I guess.
0: Sheesh. I always, whenever I think of tornadoes, I always wonder what kind of belt Bill Paxton had on.
1: Yeah, that I mean, it should have bifurcated him, right? right. It would I not mean, have been good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Whatever belt brand that is, it, it survived an F e, an F five,
1: I think. It's F's, E's or F's or EFs? F's. I, uh, I think They usually just say F, but yeah. um, I think my, I think technically it may be EF five. You know, and we very rarely get tornadoes down here. Yeah. And one, not that one I was telling you about, not long after that, Uh we we actually had an F3 in, like, New Orleans, like, within the city area. Fortunately, it was sort of the outskirts, but still, like, within the the area. And I never forget this. I was watching the news. They're like, okay, we have some footage of the tornado. And they put it up. And the weather woman immediately, she goes, oh, my God. <laughs> like, oh, this is not good. <laughs> They immediately cut the feed. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, she's like, that is at least and after we do not see these around as much. <laughs> 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 she was like, oh, that's not okay.
2: That's the only so, coverage
1: you get. It's just the weather woman, oh, my God,
0: cut the black. Um. Hmm. Okay.
1: <laughs> my favorite ever a few years back, but I was home for Miss- at Mississippi for Christmas. Mm-hmm. and tornadoes were coming through Christmas Eve. It was all over the place. And we were watching the news, you know, and up in North Mississippi, this one weatherman, he was like, Brazil, Lock Station, Itabina, how <laughs> often do you hear me say the name of your town on television? Never. That's how you know this is just Safety. <laughs> Oh my God!
0: We we had one weather guy down here in Florida that was like, "Uh, you need to get out of there because you're gonna die and your kids are gonna die too." We're like, what? Is, what is happening? Who let this guy say this
2: stuff?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you every once in a while they lose it and they actually need to lose it. But yeah. like, you know, I mean, the guy who was like, "You towns, you need to go." But he, he he knew what he was doing. He's <laughs> yeah. like, "I need to scare them because they don't think I mean it." Sure. Um, and but poor oh my god, like <laughs> on guard That's what was happening completely. Oh, that
0: is gold. I feel like they're also they have to be extra like warning forward because they have to stay behind. Like I remember the weather people yeah. being like, We're in our bunker, uh we're gonna be safe, but uh you need to leave. I was like, Oh man, yeah. can you imagine?
1: For years and years, uh I mean he's deceased now, but all during like the '60s, '70s, and '80s, I think into the '90s, there was a weatherman in New Orleans called Nash Roberts, mm-hmm. and he was renowned for his hurricane tracking. Really, he was, he was extremely good. Of course, he's working with like you know a whiteboard and a marker, sure. You know, and reports, but he was really well known for it. In fact, like worked also several big oil companies. Like they talked to him to figure out like when they brought in guys off a of rig right something. okay you know he was kind of the guy sure and he, and he was in there one evening and the hurricane was turning so you know things are calming down and and he said listen i'd just like to say one thing i would really like to thank my wife who has ridden out every hurricane alone for Ooh. the last three decades <laughs> wow what a woman i know you wouldn't have, and it's like oh i hadn't thought about that but yeah nash roberts had to be there and sure. his wife that's the deal Right. Do you remember mm. uh did you ever see that
0: video of Jim Cantori and like the thunder snow? Mm. There, there's this weatherman that like I guess while okay. it's blizzard super fe- like feet and feet of snow, it's like lightning as well, and he's like, Oh my god Just really, really excited. Yeah, yeah. I
1: mean, I think i that was in Chicago. I was in Chicago for that. It, Were it, you really? It was <laughs> yeah, it was in fact pretty awesome. <laughs> what? I didn't yeah. know that. How yeah. how, was, how was Thunder Snow <laughs> from a first hand account? It it was pretty epic. I mean, it really was because there were crazy winds. We're getting snowfall amounts that made Chicago shut down, you know, and they don't sure. shut down easy. Sure. You know? And normally, I've, I've since have learned, like, if there's some snow, that means maybe you get a couple of rumbles of thunder. Okay. But it was going like full thunderstorm. What? You know, sometimes you could see little flashes of lightning even. Uh, it was, it was pretty intense. That's so cool.
0: We, there were like internet memes coming around. It's like, if Jim Cantore comes to your town, that's not good. It's not good yeah. at all. And he was yeah. like an hour from me during the hurricane. We're like, oh no, this no. is <laughs> this is bad.
1: Get farther from Jim Cantori. Yeah.
0: <laughs> that's the cross he bears. Yeah, yeah. Oh man. I've been to new Orleans once. Uh, I have a friend who lives there and we went, I think it was like a year or two after Katrina. And that was my first time going, and I was like, oh, boy. Uh, hmm. This is different than the movies. Uh, but it seemed to bounce back. To yeah. Bounce back. Um,
1: I mean, obviously, there are areas that bounce back better than others. Um, you know, when you had both low-income areas and lower ground, oh, yeah. those areas still really have had a lot of uh, trouble. Uh, but the majority of the city – looks as good if not better than it did before you know they've built in bike lanes they've really built up the streetcar lines more yeah. it had gotten almost just a little twist thing and now you know you can actually move around on it some um it's become a viable transportation option um yeah i mean i think you have this weird misapprehension of people seem to think we're still walking around in hip waders or something
0: <laughs> you still travel by kayaks.
1: Yeah, um yeah, and I had friends who were going around like in canoes. That's awesome. <laughs> but that's just not that's just not the issue anymore. Sure. Um, you know, I mean obviously the way things are going which looks to be more of an issue as time goes on. Right. But I'll worry about that later.
0: Yeah, cross that bridge when you get to it. Or build yeah. that bridge when you need it. <laughs> being being below from yeah. Florida being like six feet below sea level. Mm-hmm. Any time a hurricane's coming, you just get one person that's like, well, you know what's going to happen eventually. It's like, no, 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 we'll be fine. Oh, God.
1: Katrina was the storm that people had been dreading for years and yes, years. Yes,
0: that was the one foretold.
1: Yeah, and actually, it was. I mean, you remember, it wasn't the storm itself. It was the levee breaking. Yeah, they, it dumped so much water mm-hmm. uh, in the river that, that, and the lake that that broke. At first, it looked like the city had dodged a bullet. but
0: Right. That's uh that that was the thing that they kept warning us about was like they said the storm is going to pass us cuz the we were actually in the eye of the hurricane for like 20 minutes which was nuts cuz it was like a, it was like a high <laughs> category 3 uh, mm. in Naples and it, it's so weird like you hear a <laughs> wind and crazy rains and stuff and then just dead quiet for like a half an hour you're like what <laughs> and, and everyone's like going out we're like it's safe it's like no you you don't understand when it starts back it's starting back f- Speed again yeah <laughs> that's like, that was so take sweet. five minutes, look around, get back. Exactly. Enjoy it while you can, and then get back inside, because you're not going to be able to close these shutters once we get started.
1: No, this uh, is when you take the dogs out. Let's do that real quick. okay?
0: Exactly, exactly. And they were telling us, they're like, the hurricane's going to be bad. What's going to be worse is the storm surge. And it's like, that's mm-hmm. what you need to worry about, because they were telling us, like, 15 feet of water. And I was like, oh, okay, well, uh, we're going to lose everything. This is awful. Uh, and luckily... It's, it hit us, and then instead of going right up the road along the beach like it was projected to, it went way more inland. So there was next to no storm surge where we were.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, it couldn't pick up water anymore.
0: Exactly, exactly. Crazy, st- weather's crazy.
1: Yeah, that is. It's um, If you really want to depress yourself about humanity sometime, go to the National Hurricane Center and go into their frequently asked questions. Yeah. And just the display of not understanding. Yeah. Like, why don't we use a nuclear bomb on the hurricane? <laughs> yeah. Why don't and, we shoot it? That's yeah, <laughs> a, a frequently asked question. Oh,
0: my God. Like, <laughs> that was another uh, thing that was said on the news here. Like, don't shoot the hurricane. <laughs> <laughs> don't do it, people. It's like, I know you Florida people are thinking about it. I see you, Florida man. Do not yeah. shoot into the hurricane. <laughs> uh, that Lord. bullet whip around and get you. Can you imagine if that's your the way you go?
1: <laughs> if you fire the gun, that you may deserve it. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> I, that's I just Darwinism.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
0: Oh man, I I mean I'm gonna ask a stereotypical question: Have you been to Mardi Gras?
1: You have, oh, to have right? Of can't you can't not of course be Mardi Gras this year actually. Um, mostly didn't because um i was having some work done on my house at the time so my boyfriend and i were temporarily living uh across the lake uh-huh. but um you know so we weren't here for the thick of it but i did march in barkus which is the parade of costume dogs oh sweet uh, yeah my dog was a cup of coffee and i was the starbucks mermaid
0: that is amazing it was fun what so what are what what is mardi gras like from for someone who's never been what should I expect when I go? Well, it depends
1: on what kind of experience you're determined to have and who you're there with. Oh, okay. The experience that a tourist has, if they stay primarily in the French Quarter, is going to be very radically different from the way that locals experience it. That makes sense. Um, the parades wind through many different parts of town. You know, where I am, we would be more likely to catch a parade uptown. You know, of course, there are still tourists there, sure. but but you know, it's a whole lot of local people. Um, a big experience, like everybody talks about this, a carnival. When you're walking around in the parade, you see people you haven't seen in a long time. You're like, hey, you know, like this is where you run into your neighbors and that person who was in that book club, et cetera. You just sort of reconnect with all of that, right? Uh, and you know, people who are in the parade, whether that's on the floats or dancing or you know, in one of the other. Create groups that goes through.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so it, it has more of sort of a community vibe to it. And, I mean, don't we drink, but sort of the goal is to sort of like get a buzz, maintain.
0: Gotcha. That makes sense.
1: Because, you know, the, the heart of the, you know, parent season lasts about a month, and there's two solid weeks of it at the end. You know, you can't, you can't go after it hardcore all that time. You kill yourself. And also, you know, people bring new kids to the and stuff like that. So, um, you know, you would just sort of be chilling out with your plastic cup full of whatever it is you're drinking, talking with your neighbors, you know, waiting for your friend who dances in the organ grinders to come along and cavort in front of you. Sure, sure.
0: That makes sense. That makes sense. And if you wanted to go for a more... What would you recommend someone who doesn't want to do, say, the touristy route of New Orleans to experience the real now if you will?
1: Uh, let's see. I would try to find, you know, a local, somebody you know or somebody you know you know. P- the question of who will host you at Mardi Gras gets really fluid. Usually it's like, are you know, do you know the homeowner or do you know someone the homeowner has heard of? You know, right, like sometimes right. people wind up on your sofa there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But it's it's really good. It's also especially good if you could be near a route. A lot of people who live near parade routes will just have open houses for one or more of the parades. Oh. And so people who know them and their friends, which, you know, believe me, I've been to somewhere it was very a very tertiary connection. Yeah. But you come in and there's food and there's alcohol and everybody sits around and talks and, and chills out. Uh and it's just it's just a really nice experience a lot of the time but yeah you'll you'll want to connect with somebody local i mean you must have some friend someone you're in florida you can hunt somebody up yeah it would but, be, yeah. yeah uh i would that would be my main recommendation would be t- kind of to do that and and also the like the weekdays before mardi gras itself like the the Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday sort of of that weekend, it, the, the stuff really gets nuts on Saturday and Sunday. Sure, but but uh, the Knicks, Muses, and oh god, how many parades are there on Friday? I think it's Hermes and Croutons and something else. Um, like those are amazing. Or you can come a couple weeks early and go to some of the little walking parades, like Chewbacca's, which is a science fiction walking crew. What that is the best name I've ever heard. Yeah, I marched with them two years ago in the sub crew called Be the Darth Vegas. <laughs> yeah, I was I was uh, Obi Wan Newton. That oh was my. my god, that's
0: amazing!
1: It was fun. I had I had a trading card and everything. It was pretty great. What? Yeah. Uh, or they have crew de Vue, the pun being on crude view, which is incredibly obscene. I can't, <laughs> like I'm not I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding at all. Like. People will take their kids, but it's like, and then you have the talk. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what is that? Oh, boy, we're doing this now, are we? <laughs> but, yeah, as a friend of mine said last year, his daughter's on his shoulder going, Daddy, there are a lot of boy parts in this parade. <laughs> He's like, yes, there are, honey.
0: <laughs> oh, my God. I, I I went to Fantasy Fest in Key West mm-hmm. um, accidentally when I was, like, 11. Uh Oh, that's an experience that you don't forget. <laughs> yeah. S- same sort of theme, actually. <laughs> <laughs> just naked people everywhere. Uh, but th- yeah. that's not, that sounds awesome. It sounds very, very communal, which is how I picture New Orleans just food and music. Just, yeah.
1: That's very cool. It's very rare. Yeah, I would say. it really is. This is one of the last cities where people would just go out and do something because it would be cool or fun. For people, you know, and sure. nobody's trying to monetize it. You know, you pay money to take part. Yeah. In um, you know, but I know a number of people, you know, they're professional dancers. They're just normal people, but they're in dance troupes. Or you have the Laze Boys, who are people who have motorized recliners and tricked them out with, like, dry ice and LED. What? They do, like, you know, performance riding. You know, I have a friend who's in that. Um, another friend is part of a group called the Disco Amigos that does this. Um, you know, people, they really is a thing that encourages you taking part in some way, you know, even if it's just dressing up when you go to the parade or, or something. And it's really remarkable how many people do participate in some, in some form or fashion.
0: Sure. Those names are amazing. That's so, okay. cool. <laughs> so cool. And it's like the, the, the culture and the art that comes into that. That's so neat. Is that, is that like has to have been one of the reasons why you chose New Orleans to live, right?
1: Yeah, it, it really is. This is one of, I always say it's one of the last places that really feels like nowhere else, you know, where everything is really getting more and more homogenized. Absolutely. All the time. You know, it's very hard to tell. You could drive through sort of the outskirts of several cities and just have no idea. You'd be in Indianapolis. You can be in Sacramento. You could be in the outskirts of Atlanta, you know, I mean it's gonna be the same sort of chain stores, the same sort of look, same sort of whatever. And I'm not saying we don't have some chain stores out in the whatever, but Mm -hmm. if you're in New Orleans, you know you're in New Orleans. Yeah. (laughs) It's the food is the music is different, the architectural styles are different. It's it's just it is still it's very much its own place and a place that really encourages a lot of creativity on and just exuberance on the part of people i mean this is not a big town it's about three hundred fifty thousand people sure it's livelier than places five times that big absolutely yeah.
0: that's so cool I yeah it. it's like it's like it's like a celebration of life that's mm-hmm. awesome that's so awesome
1: yeah it really really is
0: man so am i uh am i correct in what i read that you live in a super old house
1: uh, yeah, I mean, actually not by New Orleans standards, but by general standards, yeah, it's uh from uh 1895.
0: Right on. Yeah. Is that something you always wanted to do, live in, like, those kind of houses? I
1: hear it's purple. Is it purple? It is purple. Hey, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, which, again, in New Orleans is not unusual. Right, uh, that makes sense.
0: Huh? That makes sense. Purple yeah, in New okay. Orleans.
1: Yeah, the people next to me are sort of melon orange, and the people across the street are turquoise blue, You know, um, it beige is just how dare you? How dare you?
0: (laughs) Once things turn beige, that's when
1: you know you've hit the city limits. Basically, yeah, you do see a few, but there are people in from out of town who are trying to flip a house, and of course, Ah. so painted a neutral color, and they do this, and then they wonder why it takes it a long time to sell. For real, people who live here are like, oh, we'd have to repaint it right away. You You don't want to be the one person in the lame-colored house. Seriously, <laughs> that's like it's just sad. That's just sad. All colors of the rainbow, and and you go for beige. I gotta All say,
0: it is so, it is a really cool to know that an author is living amongst this this place of just life and celebration and culture and music. It's just it's got to be super like creative filling. You know, you're like you got to be inspired by stuff like this
1: yeah I mean, I've never written anything about New Orleans or anything said here. I feel like that's sure. inevitable someday but but it's just it's it's a place where it's not very hard to find interesting things to do and to see or to be in places that are really authentically very beautiful. Yes. I mean just walking down the street near my house, we have all these big you know two hundred year old oaks and everything and because it doesn't snow, I mean you know how it is the oaks the branches just go. And they go out and out and out and they dip back into the ground and come back up again, you know yeah. Uh, so you know and that's that's a block and a half from my house. It's just this huge street lined with that. and the nearest coffee house is in like an old bank building from the 1920s with like 30 foot ceilings and what? you know marble arches and business. you know and, I mean it's just it's so easy to be someplace that is, is beautiful and different.
0: That's so cool. Yeah. And in, any sort of history, like especially nowadays, you know, they have stuff down, build new stuff. It's like if you can find anything that's even a little old, it's like, mm-hmm. ah, cool. Like I remember yeah. going to London and I'm like, there are apartments here that are older than my country. Yes.
1: <laughs> yes. And also like my house, the bulk of it is from 1895. In about 1982, we put a small addition on the side. Right. And years ago, I had it really checked out top to bottom. There are tons of problems with the 1982 part. Mm-hmm. 1885 solid. Wow. Did nothing. Like because back then, you know, they built stuff to be there forever. Sure. You know, and 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 also, I'm on very high ground. This house has never taken water right on. In any floods, so you know it hasn't had that kind of damage either. Sure. So, um, but yeah, sounds like a good buy. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, yeah, and I mean, it's true about a lot of things, though. You know, my my father has kept my grandmother's stove, which I think is from like 1948. Sure. You know, that thing would outlast the new apocalypse. You know, <laughs> sure. So you bought 10 years ago is probably breaking down. It's true. It's so hor- like
0: I feel the same way about cars. Uh-huh. Like, all of, the newest car I've ever owned is I think the one I'm driving right now, which is like an O2. And mm-hmm. I I grew up with like that teaching me how to work on cars. Cause we can never afford a mechanic because they're so expensive. Mm-hmm. And now that I see all these new cars, I'm like, half of this is a computer. It's like your your car could be totally fine, but if a sensor goes out,
1: it's broken, yeah.
0: and things are just so much more breakable now. It's crazy.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's it it. it or like my boyfriend has a juicer oh, from sweet. about 1965. Uh huh. And again, that thing. I mean, we actually joke. It kind of looks like a droid from Star Wars. <laughs> This thing, but I mean, it is, it's unbreakable. This thing is 50 years old. It's completely intact and strong, even looks pretty good, Uh, does a great job. job. Whereas, you know, a couple of years ago, he had a new one, which broke after 18 months. Wow. And you just used the old one,
0: beat up the younger one. Like, you broke (laughs) it. (laughs) You could. could.
1: Man, that's crazy.
0: So Mm -hmm. when did you start writing?
1: Uh, Let's see. I... I always wrote, you know, but um, with any direction, I didn't really start until I started writing X Files fanfic. You know, oh, about 19- sweet! I so much of it, what and kind? I
0: can't just gloss uh, over that.
1: <laughs> I'm I'm not being facetious here. Like I have written so much fanfiction in so fandoms. <laughs> like I can't, I can't narrow things down that much for you. That's yeah, fair.
2: That's what fair. did you
1: write? I'm like, what did I not write? Yeah, <laughs> I never wrote Stargate. There you go.
0: Yeah, no uh, uh, was the truth out there? There, Claudia, was it?
1: Uh, well, based on the last season, it certainly was not. Yes. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I mean, the biggest problem with Chris Carter's X Files is Chris Carter. It always has been. It's like. <laughs> This guy created this awesome thing and does not seem to have any understanding of what people love about it. Sure, sure. <laughs> how? How? What? How? Um, but you know, I I wrote tons and tons of that really for about a decade, and I finally had a couple of stories go con—I mean, kind of viral insofar as fan fiction does. Sure. Um, and I was like, well, you know, maybe maybe I could try this. And uh, at the time, I was writing in Buffy the Vampire Slayer fandom. so Interesting I Interesting up- segue. Yes. Uh, and Well, I mean, I went through many fandoms on the way there, my friend. Uh, <laughs> and I was not done with the fanfic yet. I, I'm still not, technically. <laughs> Good. But, um, but uh, where was I? Oh, Buffet. yeah. So I wrote something that involved vampires and young people. Mm -hmm. And and sort of stupid, dumb luck, you know, started knocking on doors in New York the week, basically, that publishing houses were going, this thing called Twilight is selling well. Um, Yeah. Really the dawn of the current young adult market. And I got very, very lucky on being like right there with what they wanted, right when they wanted it. In a lot of ways I was really not ready to be published yet, Uh, but. I, you know, it it worked out very well for me. I'm not gonna knock it.
0: Sure, sure. I mean, you've had a bunch of writing ahead of time, so it's like you kind of. I've come to learn having uh, people on the show that like it, it's very true in most cases that luck is reparation meets opportunity. Mm-hmm. And it's like that. It you had all this fan fiction under your belt. Fan fiction is still writing. It can still be oh, yeah. really, really, really good. So yeah,
1: like... I, yeah. I actually really want to put together a workshop for about like for people who have written fanfic who want to go pro. Ooh. Because, um, you know, there were a lot of things I did learn from fanfic. There's something that fic doesn't teach you. And everybody goes, oh, yeah, sure, world building. You know, or it's like, that's really not the issue so much. Because if you're writing, particularly in multiple um, fandoms, you, you begin to learn at least what good world building looks like. Right. You begin to understand, you know, because you're in there trying to play with that Rubik's Cube, you know. Sure, and you can sort of see how it's constructed, but there are other things that you don't necessarily touch on, and I did not know those were coming, and um, a lot of it has to do with sort of the connective tissue of a book. Uh, fanfic often doesn't have that connective tissue, and nobody cares, and because everybody's familiar with the source material, why bother? sure. Uh, but if you're in an original book and it's not giving you that, you are going to feel very confused as a reader and as a writer. You have to learn how to get that in. Sure. And there are other things too. But I think I think it'd be really interesting to put a workshop like that together.
0: I think so too, especially given how massive the fanfic community is. That's really I mean, that's a really cool idea.
1: Yeah, I th- I think it's something that there would be interest in. So I'm, I'm hoping to do that for sure. I've got some friends that.
0: Uh have gone to other panels at writing and stuff and it's so interesting to hear uh, people's different processes. Like mm-hmm. the the craziest one I ever heard was like they only wrote the dialogue. And they only wrote the locations and then would go back and like fill it in. Like almost like painting but by color. Do all the green and then do all the red and then do all the blue. It's like what is what is your process when you're attacking a book? Do you have like notes
1: everywhere? Do you have a
0: drawn out? A basic storyline
1: where you kind of fit as you go? I'm I'm still kind of doing that thing. Have you seen that little video of the cat that they let it have <laughs> the face with the mint toothpaste? Like yes. the it. and it's like, dum, dum, da, dum. <laughs> basically, my eyes are doing that at the thing of the dialogue and the sets. You know, just putting that down, I'm like, what? Yeah. What? <laughs> um, all right, let me let me pull out of that. Um, <laughs> no, I live there, Claudia. I live yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> um. Generally speaking, I come up with a premise first, and okay. then once I have the premise, I'm sort of like, okay, who is the most interesting person in in this premise, somebody that would be challenged by this, and then once you have this person and you know a few things about them, you're like, okay, well then what would need to be happening in the story to sort of bring this out, and you know, it's not character first or plot first, sort of the two things tend to evolve each other. Oh. Um the the project i'm working on next actually was the first one where i had to go you know i actually need way more world building on this before i turn to the rest of it sure uh, but that that was unusual for me um i come up with an outline i am a very big outliner um and i write through beginning to end i don't really add no like if i think of something for later i may go leave a note Right, but yeah, beginning to end. Um, that makes sense. Just, well, I also I tend to get really I like my endings. I tend to really be excited about them and eager to write them. So that just sort of turns into the carrot on the end of the stick. You that know, makes I, sense. You know, have to get through the rest of it and make it fun before I can get to write that cool thing by the end.
0: Right, right. What what do you write on? Because I know, like, Drew Martin has, like, a super old computer.
1: Um, I, I write on a laptop. Uh, I don't understand how people who handwrite do it. I certainly could not. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I have a laptop currently in Mac. Um, I work in a number of different places. I mean, I have an office, and I do work in there in my house. Mm-hmm. But I also, um, you know, will go to coffee houses or work in my front room or in the yard or something like that. Uh, just for variety because sure. particularly on deadline, it's like, you know, you need something. Yeah, uh, of course. You know, I've just gotten a little adjustable thing so I can stand occasionally and sit sometimes. Oh, so, right. On. Yeah. Nice. Um, yeah, I, I really would love to try, uh, you're familiar with Kevin J. Anderson. Oh yes. I am yeah. a huge Kevin J. Anderson fan. Yeah. He, uh, dictates, he goes what? like hiking every morning and dictates. That is amazing. For three hours, comes home, uh, eat, you know, if he needs to edit that, he'll edit it. If he feels really good about it, he has his assistant just type it up and then he edits it. And like, and he's done for the day. What? I know. I've, I've achieved this kind of superpower, but. <laughs> I knew he was
0: magic beforehand, but now we have audio confirmation.
1: I mean, how do you even get the dictation thing to understand what you're saying? Because believe you mean, mine does not. Yeah,
0: <laughs> that is insane.
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I envy that. I'm I'm really trying to open my mind to doing things in different ways. My my general method works really well for me. Sure. And I, it's not like oh, I have to be done with this or I have to do something else. But I don't want to get locked into trying. Yeah, other Of course. Um, I think a lot of times people get way too set in their ways on that, uh, and it can be difficult with different transitions. So I'm trying to see, like, okay, could I dictate things? Could I um, write down the dialogue in this (laughs) place? Sorry, the cat's doing
0: the mint toothpaste thing again. (laughs) I mean, there's really only one way to find out yeah
1: yeah there's, there's only one way to know that's right'll so, we'll uh,
0: you'll come out with one book that we're like, this is very different and it'll just have a footnote that says dictated.
1: yes <laughs> something like that something like that that's right but, um, yeah, and of course Kevin is incredibly fit and can eat whatever he wants. so yeah, of course. some people you know,
0: some people are just yeah, awful
1: like that. Not like a really cool guy. you would have to hate him.
0: yeah, exactly <laughs> Talent, fitness and can dictate Ugh, yeah
1: God. How dare you be nice? This guy. I
0: know. I know. What's he doing? Yeah. Making everyone else look
1: subhuman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Basically. Kevin J. Anderson and the Troglodytes. That's <laughs> <laughs> his 60s band. Yeah, you know. uh, He's the best.
0: Uh, so uh, a question I always have for writers as well. How do you name your characters? Because I used to write tiny little stories like in elementary school, just, you know, as uh-huh. kids do. And I would always name them like, I was into Bruce Lee, so I'm like, this one's name is Bruce. And this one is going to be Jackie, because
1: Jackie Chan.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Just um, making up names.
1: Yeah, uh, it's a combination of things, but generally, I, I try to think about their parents or who wherever they would have gotten their name, like what, what oh. would, or that organization, whatever, what name would they pick? First of all, because it makes me think about the people. Yeah. And think about that, because that's an important thing to know about your characters going in. And also, that's how we get our names. Absolutely. And I think it helps set that a little bit. Um, You know, and of course, you can play around with it from there. But, uh, you know, I try to think, in my first book, you know, the character's mother was sort of like Sarah Connor of of vampire hunting. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and his name was Lucas, because it was going to be something really short. Really, no nonsense. It was you know, this like you know Sebastian Gideon yeah. <laughs> like that he was not going to have a name like that, right uh, and the heroine um she was going to be immortal and and her parents named her Bianca because it was out of Shakespeare, right, and they were several hundred years old themselves, and they knew that Shakespeare doesn't go out of style. names do you right. know. Go back 120 years and like all the cute girls named Mildred and Bertha.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That's not happening <sighs> now. And well, okay, Bianca may go out of style, but even if it does, you'll be able to say, My parents love Shakespeare. That, that is probably still going to be a really valid thing to say for another four to 500 years.
0: Yeah, that is genius. Taking like an in universe way to look at it. As opposed yeah. to like, I'm gonna name you this because I like this. It's like, well, you have parents. What would they have named you? That's crazy. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, that's generally what I do. I mean, some name will come, and you're like, that's just too great. You got to go with that. Right. And of course, Star Wars, you have to find the whole thing of it's sort of familiar but not quite right. You right. know, you have to just walk that line and, and figure that out. And that yeah, you know, that's nothing but an insane thing. You just kind of have to. Go with it. Um, it's, more, it's more of a really, feeling. Yeah, really, the only Star Wars character that I named with any sort of other intent um, was uh, from Bloodline. There's a character called Ransom Castrofo Yes, there is. And the name Castrofo was actually given to me um, from Lucas. Apparently, the character was in a very early version of The Force Awakens. Really? Yes, very, very early. Um, and but he had no first name. Right. Uh, and, and sort of the way I was structuring that book, you know, I had, it was, it's a book about Princess Leia.
0: Yes, it is. It's um, incredible.
1: Well, thank you. Uh, <laughs> established from the beginning, like Luke is not in it. Correct. And Kylo Ren, not in it. Originally, Han wasn't supposed to be in it, but I really dug my heels in and was like, listen, if the things that are happening in this book are happening, Han's going to come home. Right. You know, not broken up at this point. He, he's at yeah. home. Yeah. And, and they ultimately agree. But again, he's not in a lot of the book. Sure. You know, he's a small thing. And I liked the chance to tell a story that really was completely independent. Yeah. Because, um, you know, she got in the old EU. She got to be a Jedi Knight. She did. But, but at the same time, she didn't really get to be the focus a lot. That is true. You know, and a lot of times she was like doing the boring thing. Right. You know, Oh, Leia's back in the Senate, you know. <laughs> That's and, right. You know, and I really loved the idea, like, yes, this is all through her, but at the same time I was thinking, you know, a mother who is without her son is thinking about her son. Right. You know? A wife who's without her husband is thinking about her husband. A sister without a brother is thinking about that brother. And so Castrofo, in some ways, he hits a lot of the notes that those people would, and, you know, he's filling a gap in some ways, you oh, know, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, he's this young person that she's mentoring a bit, you know, uh, he, somebody she could sit down and have these really thoughtful discussions with. He's also somebody who is very kind of dashing and can drive her completely insane, you know, <laughs> that's right. Uh, you know, and cover all that. So I liked having sort of the ties to the other men in her life. And then this tie is meaningless, but you know, father's name is Bale Organa, And so it was like Bale Ransom. There's,
0: oh my god, that's amazing!
1: Yeah, so just threw an L in there so it would look a little more uh, spacey. I, L's are spacey, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> of course um, they are. <laughs> yeah, that was the only one that had any sort of um, like back, other to yeah. It. yeah. Okay, okay. It's, so like, sounds cool, you know. It
0: does. It, it worked very well. Uh, I another question I have. So when you wrote the Evernight series, right? Mm-hmm. It was four books. Did you know it was going to be four books from the beginning?
1: Or were you like I did. You did. I did. I was offered a four-book uh, deal. And, you know, I had the first book, but I knew other things would happen. I thought I was so smart. I'd come up with a plan <laughs> for three books and a plan for five. Ha! bought four. Yeah. Um, and I actually learned a lot by doing that. I mean, of course, you're going to learn a lot doing your first four books. Yeah. But really plotted and planned a lot for the entire series from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And I think especially in fan culture, we tend to go that, like, oh, they've known for seven years that it was all going to be right here, you know? Right, right. And I realized about halfway through book two, it was like, why did I believe that at no point in the next four years I would have a good idea? <laughs> you know? Like, it's why rare. did I? Yeah, it's like, why did I not think that spending more time with these characters would generate different concepts, you know? And sure. I had... You know, I would planned ahead, but I planned ahead to such an extent that, you know, I was I was fenced in and right. uh, I've gotten better since then at figuring out like, OK, here's how you can have a meaningful arc in the middle, but not put too many things out there like, you know. I know there are a couple points I'm going to hit. I know that ultimately we may have to reach this resolution, right? but you know, you will have ideas as you go. You know, you will spend more time with these characters. You will get to know them better. Um, you, and I feel like it's important to leave yourself some room for that.
0: For sure. Especially creating something like that. Yeah. That's funny. Four books. Uh, yeah, so, man. You just, you learn so much by doing, huh?
1: you do you do there's there's really nothing else for it you know people are always sort of like what is your advice for writers and the main thing is like write all the time that's there really isn't much else sure and it's amazing how many people do not do that step
0: oh yeah that nobody wants to hear that because it's like how do you do it just do it you're like there's no way it's that easy it's like tell me what kind of pen i need you know tell me what kind of software i need to write this book what kind of paper it's like dude just write yeah, yeah, that's too yeah. easy. It's too easy, Claudia. Yeah.
1: <laughs> that Also, I think people get discouraged too quickly, you know, because For sure. your first 10,000 pages aren't going to look the way you hoped they would. You know, most of mine, fortunately, were X-Files fanfic, right. you know. <laughs> right? um, but I, I think people, you know, too often sort of look at that first chapter and it's not at all the way they thought it would be, and they think, I can't do this. Instead of, you know, you've you've just completed steps, you know, one through
0: five of 10,000. Sure. And that's the other thing people got to remember is they're comparing their first, second, third, 10th draft to somebody's hundredth final draft.
1: Yeah. You know, that's that. And, yeah. Well. And it editors work on and, and yeah. help. I was actually re- listening to, are you familiar with the uh, podcast? Always take notes. Yes. I was listening to the one uh, with Peter Frankopan today. Right. Uh, and, uh, the guy who wrote the Silk Roads and he used a phrase that I loved. He said, by the end of the book, the writer is snowblind." And I was like, that's it. That's exactly, ah. it. you know, it's just, you think, you know, but you know it too much. You've seen it too much. Sure. And, that makes uh, sense. Yeah. So you get that other voice and that other point of view, and you've had that reaction. Uh, and it, it, you know, unless your editor is absolutely terrible, your your book's going to be the better for that. Right,
0: right. Editors are super important. Mm-hmm. From everyone that I've talked to about them. So, you you have the series under your belt, and then next thing you know, you're writing for one of the biggest franchises ever. Huh.
1: <laughs> I wrote a uh, another trilogy, the Spectre trilogy, you which was. Were- Yeah, that was enjoyed by dozens of people worldwide. (laughs) um, But then I came on and did the Firebird trilogy, which uh, is about the daughter of two famous scientists. She's chasing her father's killer through alternate dimensions. I had a blast writing those books, uh, and, and that did better. And then, yeah, out of the blue, I got an email you know, like Star Wars, and uh, actually, my agent called me. I was at a gas station, and just like, did you see that email? I was like, what email? I was like, the one that says Star Wars. <laughs> you know, pulling out my phone right away, and um, you know, they they wanted to talk, and you know, I had to sort of come up with an outline, and they liked the outline, and of course, that was Ooh, stars.
0: Ooh, Lost Stars was incredible. Oh, thank the, you. I you know, let's talk about Lost Stars. Lost Stars. Okay. I absolutely loved because I, I I talk about it all the time when I talk about context of both sides. I was uh-huh. like, we've never seen from the Imperial side of Alderaan blowing up. From someone who's from Alderaan, that scene was crazy powerful. The,
1: you know, the whole book is powerful, I'm not going to lie. But, <laughs> so, I'm really glad you enjoyed it. I mean, and actually that was one of the things. You know, I think some people come in with the idea that the Star Wars people are very controlling about what you write, but, you know, they came to me and said for that book, what they said was we want, you know, two childhood friends, this idealistic girl and this angry guy, and they have a bond even though the war begins and she joins the rebellion and he joins the empire. You know, I came back and said, no, no, the idealistic girl has to be the one in the empire and the angry dude has to be the one in the rebellion. That's and immediately so good, they, right? they said, okay, you know, they were fine with it. yeah. I both wanted somebody you wouldn't think of as an aerial and, you know, for all that, you know, Thane is committed. He's really not the kind of guy in the rebellion that we mostly have seen in the movies. Very true. He's, he's a skeptic about the force. He's never comfortable with Luke Skywalker up the death star. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's, he's um to the end of his life. Probably. He's going to think like Grand Moff Tarkin was such a cool dude. Right. Right. Cause as far as he knows, he was, you know,
0: um, sure. And then Sienna being, like, the good person is, like, Uh sticking her to the Empire. To the very end, where you literally have to, like, knock her out and be like, we're coming this way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. She's – because, I mean, at some point – and actually, it's really interesting because I feel like The Last Jedi touched on this. Mm
2: -hmm. The Last
1: Jedi is fundamentally about facing your mistakes. Yes, And the fact that you cannot move forward with any hope for the future – Unless you face this in the past, right? You know, and ultimately, that's the tragedy of Ben Solo, Kylo Ren. You know, it, he's not happy, he's miserable. Yeah, he's oh yeah. completely miserable. But he cannot turn around and say, "I made a mistake. I did the wrong thing." Yep. He can't do that, and so he's trapped there. For and sure. you know, to a much lesser degree, <laughs> that is where Sienna is because. She's put so much of her her faith and her belief, you know, and her dedication as a good person, a person who's sort of living true to her culture, into serving this. And she knows that there are good people there, and she wants to, you know, she feels like that's who she's working with. That's who that's who she's serving. Sure, uh, you know, and it gets harder and harder. You know, it gets worse, but it gets harder to step away, not easier. For sure,
0: and I, I love that her her tribe is you know so about honor. And it's like, you gave your word, you took this oath, like, it is what it is. And mm-hmm. was it was it always the plan to write it from the alternate perspectives, like Sienna and then
1: Thane it's, and Switch? Yeah, it was always, I mean, I think it mixes up more in the beginning, but yeah. especially, like the, I think at some point the chapters just break down and there's a Thane and there's Sienna, Thane, yeah. Sienna. Um, but yeah, that was always the idea.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. It was the perfect way to do it, especially like opposing sides of a war. This, mm-hmm. It was so good. I really, really, really liked it. How long did it take you to write it?
1: Um, well, I will say that when uh, Star Wars sent that first email, my agent and I assumed that the year was a typo. <laughs> oh, no. No, they they meant this year. <laughs> oh, God. Um, you, you don't get a ton of time on it. Um, That's the price. I mean, they work through the outlines, but you don't want to really begin until the outline is fully okay, because sure. you don't. And I guess I probably had about two and a half months, or something with that. Uh, I really wow. had to be hard. Like, I remember on Christmas Day that year, like, I went over to my late grandmother's house, which is mostly empty, and just, like, worked over there for about four hours. And, you know, I was like, really? Yeah. But I was time. I really was. It's a long book. Yeah. Uh, I had a blast with it. And it's, it's, it's been really well received, which yes. I was not expecting because, you know, some of the message boards beforehand, you know, were like I don't like my Star Wars, you know, they're you can't read of, those Yeah, well, you know, I, I tried not to too much, but <laughs> so you're still also human. Banned, so I would just trip over stuff, you know. Sure. You know, and the, you know, there were I think plenty of people were open to it, but there were definitely some people who were not. And to have the fandom like really embrace the book, especially because it's about original characters, it is. has been really wonderful.
0: Sure. And then it's like you said earlier, where like Star Wars is a lot, almost more a feeling than anything else. The characters felt very, very Star Wars. Uh, I dug it. I dug it a lot. So from there, were you like, okay, this did well. Can I take a swing at Leia? Or did they come to no. you?
1: It's not what happened. Um, It was summer, and Lost Stars wasn't even out yet. I had just gotten Lost Stars away, maybe like two months before, and I was working on a different book. And uh, my editor at Star Wars called me and was like, we need a, a book in a bakery. Like, it would probably have to get done in about 60 days. What? I know. And I was like, I can't do it. I have things to do. I like. I I literally can't do that. And she goes, "It's about Leia." And I was like, "No, <laughs> <laughs> my one thing." <laughs> yeah. Uh. So you know, I, and I honestly probably ended up with about forty days of writing time on that. That is um, insane. But I had a very comprehensive outline for it, and um, but it, it, it honestly it's not always the worst thing. Like you kind of get in the groove and you can't even get out of it. There isn't any time to get out of it. Sure, You know, and I really loved the story a lot with that one. So that carried me through.
0: Same, same. I'm going to say this for all three of the star Wars books you've done. Plus short story, your writing is my favorite of the new Canon. I think it's, I think it's all amazing. And bloodline was one of those that like, I remember having theories, about, like, you know, Kylo Ren, Ray's parentage, and all this stuff. Uh-huh. And then I read your book, and I was like, well, there goes all of my theories. <laughs> it just wrecked all of them. Because, like, maybe maybe Ray is, like, Luke's daughter, and, like, you know, Kylo was like, hey, you're supposed to train me. But then when we found out Bloodline was, like, five, six years before seven, and yeah. Kylo's still a Jedi, we're like, whoa, hold on. Scratch yeah. everything. And I, I, yeah, I, I, I love a the lot scene people- when-
1: yeah, at that point thought that Han and Leia had broken up very early on when in yeah. fact you know they really had made it work for a very long time and you know I mean we still don't know specifically but the very strong suggestion is that they were sparked by this incredible tragedy
0: right with,
1: and which you know frankly that you know you, that would be a thing that would test any marriage of so, course
0: of course and I just god I loved it. The scene was so beautiful when Leia finds out that the, oh it's a boy. So good. Mm-hmm. That that whole yeah. book and then you have a guy who's like obsessed with the Empire and Leia's like, what is happening here? And the whole uh-huh. vote Leia thing, like, incredible. Incre- I can go all day just saying how amazing this book was.
1: and I- it, it was fun to do. I had more on that. Like, the other two books I got like a two-line prompt. Uh-huh. This gave me about a page and some of that was just political backstory. Sure. And it wasn't necessarily in the book but um, you know, I knew that Napkin bombing thing would happen. I knew that, uh, and it was called that in the outline. I knew that um, she would be revealed as Darth Vader's daughter.
2: Crazy.
1: Um, in that draft, Castrofo was very much just a villain and right. had Imperial artifact secret over on the side. And I thought you know, it would be much more interesting to have this guy be sort of Leia's political opposite, but somebody she can't instantly dismiss.
0: Right. Now,
1: um, and have him collecting that stuff openly and uh, and as far as he's concerned it really is just history right. but of course of course of the book he's like I'm not sure that's true for my fellow collectors yeah, yeah. for real <laughs> Yeah, that was great I love the idea because like
0: Lost Stars and this as well it's like taking things that you thought you knew and mm-hmm. then not so much and uh, that yeah. whole deal where like the galaxy finds out like Leia is Vader's daughter. Like, we've known that forever. Yeah. And then you find out, oh, wow, no, we're the reader, so we know, but not everyone there does. And that that changes everything.
1: Yeah. Can you imagine? Yeah, and that was one of the very few missed opportunities in the old EU. They did so many really great things. But the beginning of Heir to the Empire, everybody knows, and, you know, some people are a little uh about it. But for the most part, it was like, well, sure, okay, you're Vader's kid. And you know, I I really felt like that information would not go down that easily. Exactly. (laughs) Sorry, we got we got a barking dog situation. Oh, that's fine. All right. Sorry. (laughs) No, you're good. Good. It's okay. It's okay. You
0: you probably this is this is a very lax show. Yeah. (laughs) I I I prefer it that way. Uh, it's just it's just better human conversation. Uh, so. How do you even start writing such an established character? I mean, Leia's the top three, you know?
1: Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and,
0: and with forty, and with 60 days to boot.
1: <laughs> this is going to sound like a joke or like I'm being glib, but it's the absolute truth. Uh-huh. You know, I saw Star Wars when it came out in 1976. I was either six or seven at the time. Oh, and jealous. since then, I basically, you know, there's been a part of my brain always going, what would it be like to be Princess Leia? Yeah. Yeah. You know? And finally, somebody was like, "We will give you money to do this thing." (laughs) You know, um, I mean, I just I'd loved her my whole life, and and so that felt that that felt very natural. And although, like I said, Lost Stars hadn't come out yet, Uh and I knew that Star Wars books were widely read. I mean, I had you know a lot of the old EU. You know, I was there. You know, and back in the nineties, I was at Walden Books. You know, in the mall every month coming out with it um but uh i i did not really understand quite how widely read sure. that, um and so probably i should have been a little more intimidated than i was i was not on either one except a little bit by the time i was just like oh yeah it'd be great you know and also like <laughs> leia was in that book only a few years older than i am now and you know The perspectives of a woman in her 40s, like that is not something that Star Wars has overdone, shall we say? (laughs) Sure. You know, and I thought it would be interesting. You know, I mean, she's at the point in life where she's going, okay, we won the big victory and it didn't fix everything. Sure. We learned these lessons, but the next generation has to learn them over again anyway. Right. And, um, things are mostly really good for her. And yet there are real losses. You know, I would sort of say like midlife is when disappointments are no longer setbacks, but outcomes. Like sometimes Ooh, you just good like, one. like that is it. Like you actually get your final answer on a few things and nobody, no matter how charmed their life isn't have some closed door that they really wish hadn't been closed. And nice. so like, dealing with Leia there and having her still be so determined and so hopeful, but at the same time, like really facing some of that in the face. Yeah. Oh yeah. That in the face, you know, you know why writer. Um writer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. uh, but really having to deal with that, that was, that was an exciting thing to dig into. Sure. It was great. The, the, her
0: butting has with Mon Mothma was different and awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I dug it. I'd be a lot. And then they brought you back to do to do Leia again, but younger. Yes. How, yes. how amazing is that? This character that you loved your whole life, you get to do him then, and then oh, you got Leia spot on. How about you do it again, but the other side of her life that we don't know about?
1: Yeah, that was that was great. And, all, and again, one of the mysterious blind spots in the old EU, there was almost nothing in any canon anywhere about Brea Organa. Exactly. And I mean, think about that. That's a massively important character huge and you know she got a line in the movie there was never anything much written about her and the idea that i would and get to spend all this time on Alderon with bale yes. and with, you know and um you know it wasn't only about young leia although i was very excited to write her but it was about sort of exploring that that world that leia lost
0: yeah for sure that, that's and, another thing like i I absolutely loved one of my favorite things about that book was we got Alderon's culture. we got mm-hmm. something that we hadn't seen before in the whole like right passage and just the the theatrics of you know you have to come and then give the speech and a king and queen of Alderon like it was so
1: cool, so cool yeah. like how would a really how would a monarchy that is that responsive to the people you know and that egalitarian society how does that work you know that was a exactly. Fun thing to to dig into.
0: Sure. And then you got uh Holdo, which I like to call the Luna Love Good of Star Wars because of your Yeah,
1: that, she was definitely that from the get go. Um, you know, and just the idea that when she was younger, she was really like almost aggressively trying to be Manic Pixie Dream Girl, you yeah. know? <laughs> uh, and you know, by the time we catch up with her in uh Last Jedi, of course she's older, she's a seasoned military leader but she's still got the funky hair. She does. I love it. Tell she's still got a sense of humor, you know. Yeah, she so does. you know, it, so it was fun to sort of like because I did get to see some of the stuff about Hal though before I wrote the book and it was fun cool. to and really have her be somebody who was much more um I mean much more really 14 and 15. Yeah, for sure. Uh kind of kind of giddy and fun because the the hard stuff hasn't happened yet
0: yeah exactly this, when there was still light in her eyes <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh man she had the single most badass thing in that whole movie though
0: dude holdo no joke is like in my top five favorite star wars characters it's yeah. so cool and, and we, it's oh my god just letting you sit in it and just mm-hmm. every showing <gasps> amazing yeah. amazing what yeah. uh what was the hardest part about writing in that book Having come off a of bloodline now, doing this chunk of Leia's life and her
1: parents and all that. Uh, this, this is probably not the answer you're looking for, but it was the truth. I, I actually had what was for a Star Wars book a pretty lenient deadline. Like it was the better part of, I guess it was like three and a half months. Uh-huh. And I really didn't have anything else much I was working on. So it was like, this is going to be great, you sure. know? Hmm. And unfortunately, I became very ill during oh, no. it. Uh, I mean, I'm fine. You're it good know. I'm good now. It, it ultimately ran up with me having some minor surgery. like, But I was sick. Yeah. And so that was the hardest part was, you know, there were things like when the book came out, I was leafing through it because it was like some of this, I was like, I was running a fever. I'm not trying to remember exactly what got into this chapter. Because, <laughs> you know? um, I mean, I was really not in a good way. And I did the best that I could, but ended up being a very, you know, a lot of the things I would normally do or work through with a book had to happen in a much different way, I guess. And like I said, there were literally a couple of scenes that I was like, I don't remember if it's in there or not. Wow. You know? I was not good. <laughs> I was not good. I'm just like fever all the time. Yeah, sure. But, well, you know, it happened. It you couldn't happens. tell. You couldn't tell. I'm glad. I'm very glad because I was I was worried. I was like, oh, my God, like this thing is going to come out and it'll be some sort of hallucinatory. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> it's thing. all a literal fever dream.
1: <laughs> yeah. And everybody's going to be like, what happened to her? But um, but yeah, that that was the big challenge on that one. Was, sure.
0: That, no, was, that, that is a great answer. You, yeah. I have to say my favorite scene of the book is uh the scene with Panaka. Oh, yeah, dude. You messed me up with that one.
1: Yeah, 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 I was, I was, I was proud of that scene. You don't usually get a big emotional hit with Panaka,
0: right? And oh boy, do you're, so you get you're mean. <laughs> Whatever, um, that's what he gets it, for joining the Empire.
1: <laughs> yeah, and also, like, I'd, he had been a moth in the Old EU, and yes. I thought it was fun to bring that forward. But sort of with it, he, he was a decent person. Right. He was there out of loyalty to Palpatine, and he was somebody that the Rebellion thought maybe they could shake. Yep. You know, he was, he was, you know, I think Brea says like he was by far the most senior Imperial official we had any shot at. Right. And um, so it was, it was a lot of fun to be able to do that and to have some of the close call with the Naboo. And, um, and also because her parents, of course, they don't know what she knows. Right. In fact, they're like, did you have a reason for going there? <laughs> right. Yeah. That whole, uh, it's like, uh,
0: find out what she knows without saying it. Yeah, Nabu was good. Did you did you talk to anyone?
1: Any any interesting moments? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And um, like the idea that her parents, because this is a thing that has really haunted me for a long time, and I think you see it especially in Rogue One. But Mm -hmm. you know, knowing what we now know, Bail Organa didn't just send Leia to go get Obi Wan Kenobi. Right. He knows the minute. He sends her back to Obi Wan. The minute that connection is made, the like the, the timer's been hit. The truth is going to out. Right. You know, all these things are going to happen. Luke is going to show. Up. He knows that. Right. He knows that he is setting that into motion. And you know, the the Bail we meet in uh, Princess of Alderaan. He's not ready for that yet. He's not even close to being ready for that. Sure and really, much. Leia probably isn't ready to hear it. Uh, and by Rogue One, we see that you know, he, he's, he's accepted her. He realizes that she's a leader now and that the time really has come, you know, and, and he's okay with it. But I wanted to go back a couple steps. Uh, There was a lot of sort of assumption that Bale just buy into the rebellion. was like, Oh, look, here's a war. We're going to start, you know, okay, dad. (laughs) And I thought, you know, even the father of a very politically aware child who's going to grow up and be a leader you know, most loving dads are not looking at their sixteen year old going, Yep, they're ready for war That's you right. know. Time to radicalize. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And also they don't even know what shape the war's gonna be. Like what exactly are they gonna do? Is it gonna be a full out war? Is it gonna be a couple of strikes? Is it gonna be you know, they don't know. Sure. And so I thought it was more interesting to have him have a much more to be much more uh conflicted for about sure her being involved in that. I love that scene when she goes to
0: crate and then <laughs> she gets taken to the leader and it's Bale. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that good.
1: Is, that is straight up an homage to the pilot of the TV show Alias. So
0: It's amazing. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that's exactly right. how it would be. Bale's like, oh no.
1: <laughs> yeah, just like, oh, of course she's here. Ex-
0: oh. exact. And that's exactly what would happen. That's what I love about your books is they're so true to Star Wars. Like there's nothing in around like mm, I don't know if that would happen. Like, I love it. I absolutely love it. The my favorite absolutely. moment of the entire book was Panaka looking at like
1: what you look like, Padme. <laughs> yeah, and that was sort of the key thing about getting her in the dress because right. Shortman and young Carrie Fisher like they didn't look so much alike that you would be like oh definitely. Right. But to have her in this outfit that he would have seen her in on multiple occasions, Mm -hmm. you know, like once you have that too, like the connection gets, I think much easier to draw. And, uh, and it was interesting because you had to know that there were rumors around that something might've been going on with this or that, uh, that made And And the whole, when did you say that happened? Hmm.
0: Yeah. So (laughs) how? Yeah, exactly. It's a very public adoption. That's hmm.
1: Alderaan bail. Yeah is a very public adoption um <laughs> you know i think they buried padme supposedly pregnant but still yeah you know um but very interesting i'm on to you yeah yeah and also the adoption of the princess probably was not like a leading news story <laughs> yeah <talk> <laughs> yeah it's hard to imagine of course not going oh bail and brea have a kid now you know I mean, they're not... <laughs> just palpatine
0: everyone
1: <laughs> yeah he's <laughs> always sending her little booties to everybody yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's
0: the little senate symbol, like now the imperial symbol. <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. That would be great with the little imperial symbol. Yeah, just a onesie. <laughs> Congratulations yeah.
0: Congratulations on your new daughter. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> He'd use the yarns. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs>
1: that was no. awesome. So,
0: as elaborate as the Alderani customs are, where did you come up with that? The whole sword and like is very, very thought out. Uh, re- reminded me of you know the Princess Diaries movies. Yeah, Man, I remember the day I found out that Genovia is not a real place, and I was so <laughs> offended. I was like, "But, but they have a national anthem and a flag." <laughs> and, hey, no, no. And there was so much thought into Alderaan's customs. I felt the same way. I was like, "Wait, wait I, I a minute." To
1: meet, um, Meg Cat of Princess Diaries through uh the from a certain point of view thing. Yeah, oh my she, god, she did a story for that, and I have to tell you, she is delightful. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, anyway. um... You know, I wanted it to be the, the day of demand. I, I wanted it to be something that would be very active. right? Something that really emphasized her as the monarch to be. Not sort of like, oh, you're in a pretty dress. Right, here's you know, the crown. Yeah, here's some sparkly. you know. Um, I, I thought like I wanted it to be something that was more dynamic and was about her proving herself. And the idea of the challenges took shape very early, and it seemed to me like that would be a good thing for her to declare like she's going to take this on, and that it was a process you you went through uh and i mean it's and it's formality largely it's mm-hmm. understood that you'll manage to pull this off somehow yeah winds <laughs> up being a whole lot more involved and challenging than any guessed.
0: go figure
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. that was great,
0: and then you wrote probably my favorite piece of Star Wars content since the new books and canon has come out. Your chapter, uh, from a certain point of view, had to come clean. Uh-huh. Qui- Qui-Gon Jinn is my all-time favorite Star Wars character.
1: I love Qui-Gon.
0: He's, I love him. like, number one, hands down, my favorite Star Wars character. He was, like, the Jedi that got it right, in my opinion. Yeah. And, and when I got to this chapter, I made noises humans shouldn't. <laughs> I was, I could not tell you how excited I was to get more Qui-Gon. Like, mm. any time, when I first saw him in the Clone Wars come back, I was like, <gasps> I know oh, yeah. that voice. I and know,
1: I do too. I just, I lost. The
0: first, first chapter lost. was so perfect. Like, it everything about it, I was like, wow, yeah, this is exactly what it would be. It's Qui-Gon again, you know? Mm. And uh, so, thank you
1: for that. Uh, you know, he, I've always wanted to write him, always. I want you to write yeah. him, always. I, I hope <laughs> day will come when i'll actually get to write a novel in which he would have a big part that would be great but um honestly though a lot of it again came down to the fact that they were parceling out these stories while i was really sick i was sort of recovered and able to ask like all the other characters were taken you know it was sort of like well you can write a magnum opus you know from the point of view of a dewback (laughs) <laughs> force. and i was like what the and then i thought about because i had recently uh re-watched the very end of the clone wars yes uh and i had also gone back and watched uh revenge of the sith Ooh. and you and we're told very explicitly through clone wars and then through revenge of the sith that qui-gon is speaking again yes. he's the
0: first one to become yeah. one with the force
1: he take shape yet correct was not doing that at that time but certainly obi-wan and yoda have learned how to do that very easily by that time and since qui-gon is the one who's communicating that Mm -hmm. it stands to reason that by the end qui-gon would have been able to do it too and i didn't know how they'd be with it but when i pitched it they were like oh that's great that's perfect that's a really natural moment for you know obi-wan to have kind of a second where he's stepping back and going, oh, okay. Because he too knows the minute he sees that hologram. It's like, Hell yeah. Game okay, you know, now we're going back into this and this is going to be huge. Um, I thought it was a really natural time for him to sort of reach out to that. And of course with the Jedi knowing that past and present and future are sort of mingled, Qui-Gon knows what's happening with Obi-Wan in a way even Obi-Wan doesn't at that point.
0: I freaked, man. I freaked. Mm-hmm. The other I was like, just Force Ghost Qui Gon something like. If there's ever a Kenobi movie, that's what I'm the most excited for. I was like, you don't get it. He was the first Jedi to become one with the Force, and that chapter was everything I've always wanted. And I'm so glad you enjoyed it. It was so perfect, and just the idea that like in this, the fact that he's a Force Ghost, like, I was like, all my dreams came true. So I got a, <laughs> I got a, I got a fan out on you for that. <laughs> yeah,
1: I would, I would just want Force Ghost Qui Gon and everything. Oh my god, for real. For real. I to say Force Ghost Yoda in Last Jedi. I incredible. Well, like, first of all, he's that's the point of the movie, is what he's saying. Absolutely, failure is our teacher. But also, like, really drove home something that had always driven me bats about <laughs> prequels. I'm not a prequel hater, but you know, I'd be lying if I said they were my favorites either. But Fair. the thing that drives me maybe the craziest is Yoda does not say one wise, meaningful (laughs) thing, the entire, not once, not even once. He's a bureaucrat. That, that's, that's all he is. And I mean, that's not Yoda. Right. And to have like Yoda, there, really like, I mean, the first thing he basically does is go like, you're so too Luke. Oh yeah. Just
0: cracking up the whole time. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Oh, are you going to set that on fire? I'll do it. Yeah. (laughs) Got it. Um, but, like, he was wise again. He was the teacher again. That's right. And I loved that. So, um, yeah, so getting to do a little of that with Qui-Gon also was pretty fun. Loved it.
0: I love that he was, like, outside of time. And then that moment when you, like, he basically apologizes to Obi-Wan. Mm-hmm. He's like, my bad. Like, that was a lot of pressure. I But then yeah. when Obi-Wan, like, there was a moment in that chapter where I was like, oh, wow. And it was when... Qui-Gon looks at Obi-Wan and he's like, wow, even now he thinks there's so much life ahead. And yeah. Qui-Gon, outside of time, was like, his clock is almost up. Uh huh. Like, Man, what a powerful
1: moment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm a huge Obi-Wan fan. Oh yeah, he's, he's, a, he's top three it, for me. <laughs> I think it's obvious also. I mean, that entire story is basically Qui-Gon coming back from the dead and going, guys, Obi-Wan is so great. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think it's really extraordinary. I mean, what was it, like, like three of the four people he loved the most in his life die in front of him i know it becomes much worse than dead oh yeah you know um and he has to go live like you know this this despised supposedly crazy dude on the outskirts of Tatooine, not even in beautiful metropolitan downtown Mos Eisley. No, (laughs) even that level of sophistication. Like he, he is on the back end of nowhere. The dude is in a Uh, hut. (laughs) Yeah. Like he's in a hut and there's sand and everything, you know, that there is. Yeah. 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 And the fact that as far as we know, like Obi-Wan is never tempted to darkness. Uh, Agreed. He's the, he's the model Jedi. Yeah. um,
0: I love that they like volunteered him for everything. You know, yeah. We found Grievous on Utapau, and they're just like, I think Obi-Wan should do it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Obi-Wan, you do this, too. You yeah, exactly. Yeah. Awesome. One of my years favorite. in the desert? <laughs> yeah, one of my favorite things in all the prequels is that moment when Grievous pulls out the four lightsabers yeah. and he see Obi-Wan's face and he smiles. I love it. Like, that's just awesome.
0: Agreed. Agreed. And you got to write Obi-Wan? I Dude. did. Dude. I'm so happy to hear that, like, the people behind this stuff are also crazy fan like you're one of us. That's so It's oh, yeah. so great.
1: It it's totally true and I you know, um and it's true across the board. You know, the people that I talk with at, at Lucas Publishing, like everybody loves it. Everybody's having fun with it. It's it you know, we just get to nerd out together. It's so great. That's amazing. <laughs> oh, now we have more parking dogs. <laughs> they they also love it yes barking dogs agree four out of five barking dogs agree
0: that's right that's right well i've taken up uh a lot of your time i just looked at the <laughs> the time goodness thank you so much for for taking the time i really really appreciate it this has been fun This was a lot of fun i'm so glad to hear that that is that is my goal with these uh well, mission accomplished yeah <laughs> thank you very much uh <laughs> where can people find you online
1: Um, My website is probably the best place. Uh, It's www.claudiagray.com. That's Gray with an A. I've actually been taking a little bit of a vacation from social media, but I have a new book coming out next month, so I will shortly be returning. But at my website, there are links that will take you to my Tumblr, my Twitter, my Facebook. So wherever you hang out online, you'll probably find the link to it there.
0: Sweet. Sounds good. Thank you again. Thank you. Hello, friends, thank you so much for listening to this episode of uh, The Interesting Podcast. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at Jedi Brian. If you want to follow the show, it's at Pot of Interest on Twitter. And uh, if you enjoyed this, uh, if you wouldn't mind, go to iTunes and give it a five-star rating. That pushes us to the front of uh, the iTunes algorithm, and it helps book guests. Um, yeah, so I really appreciate you listening. Until next time, be well.